Hello, welcome to the Shift podcast. And this podcast is part of a three-episode mini-series around the relationship between social media and mental health and the depiction around these social aspects online. And we're focusing specifically on linguistic analysis. Today, we're talking to Millie Morgan. She's a research executive at HRW and also a hybrid Shift member. And she has a degree in linguistics from Cambridge and an MSc in the psychological sciences from UCL. Hi, Millie. Welcome. Hi, uh, thank you for having me. Millie is an advocate of using social media as a source of research around attitudes with a special interest in diet and fitness culture and its repercussions on people. And she's also involved, excitingly, in uh, setting up a new initiative which, at HRW, which is aimed at consolidating our linguistic analysis and social media scraping capabilities. So this is super exciting. Social media is becoming more and more uh, abundant and pervasive in our lives. And with the rise of social media came the rise of mental health problems in young people. Because especially for those people, it's a huge part of their lives. They engage so much. Looking at Instagram, its popularity has risen tenfold since 2013, especially again among those young people. But the consumption and usage of social media, although social media is not an inherently bad thing, of course, it depends how we use it, but it's consumption because it's so high. It has been linked to a lot of negative psychological outcomes. For example, social networking, the number of social media accounts, the level of emotional investment into those social, in those social media accounts have all been positively correlated with symptoms of anxiety and depression. So is there a relationship between social media and mental health and ill mental health? I think it's really important to kind of recognize that um, a lot of these studies are purely correlational at this stage. So while, you know, you'd see that as people become more emotionally invested in social media, there tend to be more symptoms of anxiety and depression kind of amongst young people. We don't know which is causing the other. My interest and the focus of my research was kind of to set about and see whether there is a sort of causational relationship between social media consumption amongst young people and the sort of increase in these negative mental health symptoms that we're seeing increasing in prevalence. One hypothesis that I was particularly in, interested in is that the content that young people consume on social media plays a part in constructing that consumer's world concept. So their beliefs about the world, the norms that they believe, the attitudes that they kind of take for granted as normal within their culture. And this kind of comes from the social constructionist perspective that um, social norms and your expectations about the world are constructed by exposure to discourses and what we like to call knowledge regimes of others. The attitudes that you're exposed to, you kind of internalize and that constructs your belief about the world essentially. Yeah. So there are many different sources of discourse and like knowledge regimes in young people's lives that could be contributing to this. For example, there's been a lot of work done into the gender norms that are constructed in children's literature and like children's books and how that contributes to children's understandings of the concepts of gender. But more prevalently in this day and age, obviously a lot more children and young people are using social media. So this is like an upcoming source of discourse that could be contributing towards their construction of reality. That's the basis of the hypothesis that the things that young people are consuming on social media is contributing to their internal world concept. And there's a never-ending stream of them as well. If this is the case, then it's a problem because what we see online is not reality. It's a curated, often highly edited highlight reel. The outcome then is that young people's social norms and attitudes and their standards are then being shaped by this unattainable 
incredibly extreme. And when they compare themselves to this so-called reality that social media constructs for them, then they're either left with very poor self-esteem or they're left with the motivation to reach those standards and take on very physically, very mentally unhealthy behaviors and attitude. One study found that individuals reported a drop in self-esteem after being exposed to Facebook profiles with upward social comparison information, uh, for example, a super healthy lifestyle. So an upward social comparison information is when people seemingly achieve things that are above what we, the, the audience, have uh, currently achieved. So the self-esteem dropped when they saw those upward social comparison profiles because people people don't really share downward social comparison information. So why would they write, you know, oh, look at me, I dropped my tea all over my dress and I have to go and change and I feel bad. If all young people are consuming is this upward social comparison content, beautiful people on holiday, you know, beautiful hotels, people that can, you know, have it all, work hard and play hard and so on. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, it's important to remember that this is very much a theory. It's a hypothesis. It's really difficult to prove this. This is kind of like a thing in psychological research in general. You can have watertight hypothesis that seems to be really true, but you can never really know 100% what is the truth and whether that is really what's causing it, because there's already always so many different confounding factors that contribute to people's mental health. At the same time, there is a lot of different pieces of the puzzle and pieces of evidence that point toward this detrimental impact of the influence that Instagram has over its consumers, especially those young people who are particularly impressionable, don't have a very solid world concept at the moment, and therefore get more susceptible to influence from sources on social media. Just one thing to really illustrate this is that, of course, there's a whole new industry and career based around online influencers, and companies will have these brand deals with these influencers and pay them very, very large sums of money in order to advocate for or push a certain lifestyle or product or something that's going to be beneficial to that company. And these brand deals are worth a lot of money. So if companies are willing to invest that much money in the power of social media and the influencer to elicit behavior change amongst consumers of that influencer, then it kind of has to be something to it. And it's just, it's never ending, right? I follow this uh, this influencer online. She has beautiful curly hair and she posts routines from you know, washing the hair to styling it and so on. And she tries lots of different products um, with each routine. And I see people you know, asking her, where are those products from? And I was thinking, wow, if we we're all to buy all those products every week. <laughs> it's like use these products or like follow these lifestyle hacks and you'll have the life that I have. You know, it's this yeah, constant yeah. comparison on social media, which I just think is so, so detrimental to people's mental health. It's obviously great that we're so connected to people and everything, but at the same time, you kind of, yeah, you have this spiral of comparison and no one's happy with themselves. And also you're comparing yourself to an extreme and you're only seeing when her curly hair looks beautiful and, you know, it's all shiny and everything. But half the time, I'm sure it's like quite frizzy or whatever. And even if she does use the product and stuff, it's, yeah. it's an interesting one for sure. Yeah, we're comparing ourselves to the best extremes of people. And being sold ways to get to that extreme in yeah. reality it's not the case so is social media constructing skewed social norms of diet and fitness yeah so that the influence of instagram and everything is really relevant in my opinion instagram is like a really big hub for diet and fitness culture first of all because the, there's sort of like this inherent relationship between external image and obviously instagram's a very image focused platform and health people say you look healthy or you can kind of show your weight loss progress um you can show what you're eating it's an aesthetic isn't it this whole sort of healthy lifestyle yeah. diet fitness culture and it's very tangible very concrete right you can show today i had this for breakfast 
breakfast, lunch and dinner. And because it's so, yeah, it's so immediate and tangible, as you say, it's very easy to follow exactly what people are doing and be able to, you know, work towards achieving the lifestyle that they have. And there was another study in 2018 that showed that diet and exercise is the most discussed health topic on Instagram. Of course, we're a healthcare market research agency. And the fact that diet and exercise is so prevalent on Instagram is really, really interesting. And kind of going back to those sort of correlational links that we found between social media consumption in general and negative impact on mental health, more specifically diet and fitness. Instagram consumption's also been linked to dysfunctional attitudes and behaviours towards weight and eating. There was one study that showed that the amount of time spent on social media and like the number of visits that you're making to a social media site per day was positively correlated with greater eating concerns amongst adolescents. Obviously, once again, we're sort of thinking, is there the content of what people are being exposed to on social media um, in terms of, you know, in the diet and fitness space? Is that content what is leading to these mental health via the construction of skewed social norms and unrealistic expectations for what you should be doing to lose weight and to eat better and be healthier and get the glow or be the it girl or the it boy or for my research I set about to look into this to examine what's being discussed on Instagram in the diet and fitness space and how the language is being used in those discussions therefore how those constructions could be influencing consumers and of course Instagram is an image a video based platform and this hold a lot of power to skew consumers perceptions about the world because as we've just said it makes everything very tangible it's it's in front of our eyes so what did you find from your discourse analysis of instagram captions about diet and fitness it's interesting that you mentioned about Instagram being such an image-based platform because obviously that is part of influential power and everything is the fact that it's, you know, they say like an image says a thousand words, you just see the image and you get an idea of their life. But my degree was in linguistics. I wasn't focusing on the images at the stage. I was just focusing on, yeah, the grammatical structures in the captions that went alongside them. So what consumers would be reading alongside these images and how those grammatical structures represent the social norms that are online and also how how that could be influencing the social norms that consumers then internalize. I found like a few really interesting things and I'll try and explain this in sort of like primary school English language as much as possible. The first really interesting thing that I found in the language of these captions was to do with the use of the word but. You might have know this as like a connective. In linguistics we call it a contrastive conjunction and one thing that's really interesting about this is that the order of the two clauses that the word but combines can really convey a message about what the narrator or what the discourse producer, I guess, is trying to prioritize and focus on beyond the meaning of the clauses in isolation. So for example, surrounding like diet and fitness culture in Instagram captions that I was looking at, there are examples such as it's not a fun night of training on my side, but I'm going to do my duty and everything hurts and I'm so, so tired but I wouldn't have it any other way. If you contrast this with, I wouldn't have it any other way, but everything hurts and I'm so, so tired. In that case, they're they're really drawing attention to the pain that they're feeling from their training and from their exercise, but in like the actual way that they've said it. So everything hurts and I'm so, so tired, but I wouldn't have it in any other way. They're drawing attention to, they're willing to suffer through this Mm -hmm. pain, but the use of the word, but there says that they acknowledge the kind of the negative side of it but they're going to push through and kind of like force themselves to do it. There was also a lot of use of reflexive pronouns. These are things like yourself or myself or himself or herself. And the really interesting thing about this type of word essentially is that when you use it, the reference, so you for yourself or me for myself becomes both the agent and the patient of the 
verb. They're both doing the doing and also having something done to them. For example, forcing myself to eat, dragged myself back out, pushing yourself. Like this split identity of like, on the one hand, you're the one making yourself do it. But the fact that you're having to be forced or you're having to be made or you're having to be dragged, that kind of suggests that there's this, this conflict and this split identity of, you know, what you should be doing. You know what these social norms are kind of like making you do. But at the same time, it's difficult and it's hard and it's tough and perhaps dysfunctional. This internal conflict, this struggle, basically, between the part of you that is making you do it and the part of you that's yeah. being made to do it, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I see how, if is, is that right? If you take it out of context, this language is not necessarily bad because, of course, we do need to push ourselves sometimes. We don't always feel like doing the things that need doing or uh, do, you know, doing the things that benefit us. But in this particular context, it does seem that pushing ourselves and often in a negative way is is glamorized is that is that right yeah no definitely and I think yeah it's really really important to note obviously as you say like in some cases you do want to force yourself to do something that you don't want to do but when it's so prolific in the language around diet and fitness on Instagram it creates this norm that it's a compulsion that this is what you should be doing this is what you have to be doing you have to be forcing yourself to eat you have to be drag like glamorizing it as you say I think that obviously just to caveat this whole discussion there definitely is a space online for for weight loss and for those communities and I'm completely not demonizing weight loss in all cases it's just the prevalence of it in the eyes of young people who probably don't need to be losing weight or watching their weight kind of instills these norms and at a very young age if this is what they're exposed to online and, and prevalence of disordered eating and compulsive exercise amongst young people at the moment is so large and it changes our standards right if you grow up being made to believe that you have to be or look a certain way to be happy to be successful relevant to be loved then that's where the problem is yeah exactly yeah the idea of wanting to be healthy and wanting to lose a little bit of weight get in a bit of better shape there is nothing wrong with that it's just when the extreme is what's presented on Instagram and it's in the language that is being used to present that you have these sort of themes of you should be struggling all the time basically and that's not a healthy idea to instill in these young people there are a few linguistic or grammatical features that were coming across in in how weight loss itself was discussed in these Instagram captions that I was analyzing so we had a lot of use of causal coordination which is basically where you have one clause then you have like a word like so or therefore and then and then another clause and it suggests that the second clause is the result of the first clause we saw this a lot with weight loss being the cause of feeling happy and feeling good there was one quote that was still 5.2 pounds under target so feeling good or this year and forever I'll be wearing my new size 12 and feeling good these words so and and positioning feeling good as the result of weight loss or being a smaller size and without those things you wouldn't be feeling good what you said reminded me of something I heard in an audiobook I was listening to the other day. There's this scale uh, which users need to use for about a week. Just step on it a few times throughout the week. Um, then it takes an average of their weight and it gives them a green light if they manage to either maintain the weight or lose a bit of the weight, depending on what their goal is. I think I think you can set a goal. Of course, some people might want to gain weight rather than lose it. And instead of giving a number, it just gives you a light to show whether you know, you've, you're know you on the way to achieving, you're achieving your goal or you may have missed it, which is a little bit nicer on the user, I think. Yeah. That brings two things to mind. First of all, the whole thing about numbers. 
on my database of Instagram captions, I did a frequency count and a lot of the high frequency words that they were using were numbers. So it kind of shows how numbers focused this area is. What you said just now brought to mind. So what happens if the light's red one day and, you know, they're they're not on their target and stuff like then Does that condition them almost to fear that being told off almost for for slipping on their progress? I think there is. I think they do. They do yellow. Okay. But yeah, the thing about numbers is we like numbers, right? We we say that numbers don't lie. So of course we would be looking out for numbers and we're wired to look for numbers. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think yeah. that is one of the, the really detrimental things is even across individuals, the numbers that work for you aren't going to be the numbers that work for another person. But even yeah. within yourself, your mm. numbers are going to fluctuate throughout your life naturally. And yeah. so being fixed on this is my goal weight, this is my goal size. If those numbers aren't what you expected them to be, aren't what you wanted them to be, and you, you had this trust, this empirical measure of your progress and stuff, that can be so disheartening, really difficult to process. This whole focus on compulsion and having to keep the green light going or having to stay within a certain range, that, yeah. that is what can be really really damaging to people um i heard uh, someone told me the other day this thing or i read it somewhere i can't remember um, uh, um i read or heard this nice thing that said uh you're you're not meant to fit your clothes your clothes are meant to fit your body which is very nice yeah so, yeah, yeah exactly exactly did um, you find anything about the um the adjectives that people a lot of positive comparative adjectives were being used in discussions of weight loss. Those adjectives that have ER at the end, happier or sadder, or people were saying that they look and feel younger, they want to achieve a better body composition, there's a healthier version of yourself. And this conflating weight loss as an improvement when it might not be an improvement for everyone. Some people might be a perfectly normal weight and actually, you know, weight loss for them is going to be more detrimental to their health. Yeah, but... or they, some people would uh, maybe aim to gain some weight. Yeah, exactly, exactly. This almost mono categorization or classification of weight loss being better and all the the comparative adjectives and everything it's like well then if it is better then why wouldn't you strive for it why wouldn't you like do anything you can to look and feel younger to have a better body composition to be healthier the language is really playing into this this social norm and this goal that people should constantly be striving for and never being satisfied with it's yeah it's 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 all it seems like you know it's a little bit all geared towards a culture that's heavily fat shaming people yeah, there definitely is a rise in fat shaming, which may have been spurred on by these sorts of messages being posted on Instagram and um, other social media sites. In my master's, I looked at how exposure on the more visual side of unrealistic beauty standards can have a negative effect on people's implicit anti-fat biases and their fat shaming attitudes. So, and that's, yeah. the, that's the topic of our next podcast of this yeah. episode miniseries. And in the meantime, if you'd like to read more around the topic, have a look at the references we will have posted posted in the podcast description um, or read a book called What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat by Aubrey Gordon, which was recommended to us by Emma Neville, a former SHIFT member who is currently working on becoming a psychologist. Um, Emma will join us in the next installment of the podcast. Until then, have a great time and take care. Goodbye. Thanks very much. Goodbye. If you'd like to get in touch with us, our email is shift at hrwhealthcare.com and we're also on Twitter at hrwshift.